Welcome to episode four of the Anglo-Omani Society podcast. Today we welcome Professor Yushra Madhuhi, who is a vice chancellor of Muscat University and has been integral to its unique success in its setup in 2016. We hope you enjoy. Thank you very much for joining us, Professor Yusra. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Um, and first, could you please tell us a little bit about your background and your involvement in setting up Muscat University and what Muscat University's philosophy is? Thank you very much, Sarika, and thank you to the Anglo-Omani Society for having me. It's always a pleasure. Um, so my background is an interesting mix. I'm a British Libyan. Uh, I grew up in the UK all of my life, um, pretty much all of my life. And I've worked both in industry and academia. Yeah. The last 15 years uh, prior to coming to Muscat were in uh, Liverpool. So I was heading up the doctoral um, department at Liverpool John Moores University. And it was a very, very exciting period of time because we launched um, the, doctor, the professional doctorate to the DBA there. And I was overseeing it for about eight years. So it's given me a really interesting perspective, both in terms of the UK education and given my own background, uh, kind of the, the, the Arab culture and, and philosophies and, and way of doing things. Um, I joined Moscow University in 2016. I actually joined as the Deputy Vice-Chancellor Academic Affairs, not as the Vice-Chancellor. And, and two years later, I was promoted to Vice-Chancellor. And literally, when I joined in 2016, it was an idea and it was a project and it was a dream and aspiration and an excellent dream actually that the founders had a very clear vision of what they wanted to teach Scott University and that was very much around providing a high quality alternative uh, for students who didn't want to travel abroad so that they could study within the Sultanate right in the heart of the center of Muscat. Um, so I joined and there was no university at the time and we worked in a very, very small team to um, get the necessary approvals and the licenses um, from different stakeholders, different ministries, different regulatory bodies um, with partners, UK partners, and we can come on to that in a minute, to launch the program. And, you know, in, in four years, so we officially launched in um, November 2017. Um, and in four years, we've gone from having nine students to over 500 students. So having alumni, having a building, having research, having all the things that seemed so elusive, I guess, at the time and seemed like such a dream. And now, you know, we're seeing the fruits of that. So it's, it's been an excellent journey, really, really excellent. I'm also very honored to be the first female vice chancellor in Oman. That's another, um, you know, I guess, responsibility for me. So um, it's been a lot of hard work, many ups and downs. None of this, you know, I am very proud, you know, very few people have the opportunity to build a university from scratch, literally from scratch. Mm -hmm. And so, I'm, you know, I'm very proud of, and happy, excited to have this opportunity. But, you know, it's not, a, it's not an easy... Um, yeah. So what have been some of the major challenges along the way? I guess for me, one of the hardest and most um, challenging things has been to um, balance the need to have the team in place and actually get the work done. It takes a long time to get a team together, uh, to recruit a team and to actually get them to operate as a team rather than as a group of people. 
they say, you know, the research says it takes a minimum of 12 to 18 months for people to start uh, demonstrating team behaviors rather than you know, a group behavior. And if you think we've only been in operation four years, uh, you know, and to, to expect people to operate, at, you know, we're very, very lean, we're very small, but we want to achieve so much. We're very ambitious and so aspirational. So knowing when to say, right, right, that's a great opportunity, but we're not ready for it yet, so we can't do it now. There's been a lot, you know, it's at times, you know, you kick yourself, you want to do something, but, the, you know, it, it's not possible. Um, for me, I guess, on a personal level, it's understanding the the local context and making sure that you have your, your sensitivities are you know at the highest level so that you're aware of um, the context within which you're operating the, the nuances of the culture of the you know the organizational climate the, the expectations and making sure that you address those at, at all levels for staff for students for the community for parents for stakeholders for founders um, so yeah I mean, it's yeah. a learning curve. Every day is a new learning opportunity. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, so one of Muscat's key features is partnership with international universities. Can you talk a little bit about this and what the benefits are and like why you believe so strongly in the power of international collaboration and its approach to learning? Absolutely. Um, obviously, as part of the, the initial feasibility study from Muscat University, uh, the founders worked with Oxford University to develop the feasibility study. And uh, that was one, you know, the platform, if you like, for an international collaboration right from the very outset. So we sought the, the help at the highest levels, at the most, you know, uh, experienced levels to um, help draft a vision for, for the university and what the areas that it could really contribute to Armenian society. Utilizing that and building on that, we developed partnerships with two UK leading universities, uh, Cranfield University for the master's programs and Aston University for the undergraduate programs. The, the benefit, I guess, of having those experienced partners allows you to almost um, not have to make all the mistakes right from the very beginning. You're sharing best practice, you're learning from people who are experienced, who have done this before, who know exactly where the pitfalls could be. Obviously, evidently, within a different context. So some of the experiences um, that would have worked in the UK context wouldn't necessarily work in our many contexts, given the, the educational sector, the maturity of the sector, the governance mechanisms, etc. But nonetheless, you're, you know, you're utilizing that experience and you're giving yourself an opportunity to almost leapfrog the competition so that um, you don't have to you know, reinvent the wheel. You don't have to um, uh, create the same, you know, um, mistake or, or, you know, uh, make the same mistakes over and over again. So um, for us, that's a very, very important part. It's also a support mechanism because we work very closely with our partners. We, um, we ensure that um, it's a two-way learning opportunity. It's learning for us, but learning for the partners as well. And that's a very enriching experience for both of us. And obviously for the students, I mean, they're getting the best of both worlds. They're able to study here with their families, not leave their jobs for the more mature students and not leave their families and their comfort zones for the younger students, but also get you know a high 
quality UK degree while they're at it. So, you know, the, it's, it's a mutually beneficial relationship, I think. Mm-hmm. So um, then kind of you've touched a little bit on this, but um, you've spent significant time uh, in the education sector in the UK and in Oman. Um, so can you tell me a bit more about what you believe these the countries have to learn from each other in terms of education, both like in education institutions and in lifelong learning? Yeah. Well, with Oman, the relationships between Oman and uh, the United Kingdom go back a long time and are very, very strong, really. I and mean, we all know this uh, being in the anglo omani society. So they go back a very, very long time. And education and collaborations in education are just, you know, an extension of that relationship. The relationships are multifaceted and, um, you know, and, and, being able to collaborate in educational provision, both you know certified and non-certified, is actually um, you know an obvious next step, if you like, of that relationship. So um, we and we've been very um, well supported both by our local um, you know regulatory bodies here, but also by the embassy and the, and the British Council and you know, partners here who see the benefits of this joint relationship. So we've been able to really leverage that and make sure that um, flying faculty uh, get every opportunity to um, engage in, you know, talk to industry, um, communicate on a wider level than just purely being in, in the building. I think one of the things that I'm very proud of introducing to the Omani ecosystem that I have borrowed from the UK ecosystem, given my own background in, in higher education, is the year-long placement, what uh, is otherwise known as an internship. Now, placements are not a new thing here in Oman. They've had placements, but they tended to be quite short six weeks, eight weeks. What we've introduced in, in Muscat University is a, a much more formal and structured placement, very similar to what we would do in the UK, the sandwich here, which I believe you did as well yourself, Sarah. <laughs> so, I did, yeah, and it was, it was extremely beneficial. Exactly, exactly. Having seen it firsthand and having seen the benefits that the placement here can offer students, as well as some of the local challenges of employability here in Oman, um, I felt that it was really, really important to introduce a year-long placement, which is almost, it's more worthwhile for the employer to invest time training the, the placement student. If the student is only there for six weeks or eight weeks, it's not worth their while to really invest time and effort in, in doing some training. And we, we keep saying to industry, look, this is the year-long interview. You can get you know these people in for a whole year and decide whether you want to give them a job at the end or not. For the students, this is a really important experience. This is a, a reality check. Students go out into industry um, very gullible, I think, and, and possibly naive uh, 20-year-olds and come back 21-year-olds who are much more mature, much more understanding of the requirements of the world of work, having honed their skills, their competencies. We believe in transforming individuals. That's what Muscat University is about. That's the vision, is to transform individuals through a high-quality um, educational experience that is you know, linked with industry and research. But we also understand uh, and hum- are humble enough to understand that we can only do so much of that transformation process within the four walls of a university. The rest has to be out in the big bad world, you know. They have to be exposed 
per industry, they have to work in different departments, they have to see what this theory that we're trying to teach them is all about. And it's not all theory, we do a lot of case-based teaching, etc. But still, a week in industry is sometimes more important than a whole year in, in academia. So bringing the two together is, is just so, so important, critical. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously you feel very strongly as someone who's worked in education that a year in industry is valuable. And to me, having done one myself, it's clear how vast the benefits are. And you've talked about the benefits to employers and the students. So what do you think has stopped institutions and students from doing them in the past? Are there any obvious costs to placement years? I think it's a, it's an actual progression, if I'm honest. The higher education sector in, in Oman is quite a young sector. Uh, so it's about 35 years old. And um, it takes a while for these things to to really kind of embed and for, for universities to understand the implications of some of these initiatives, if you like. Added to that, I think, is employers are much more picky because there are so many graduates now. There's a real need, you know, for every um, graduate to provide what do you bring. The fact that you have a degree is no longer sufficient. What do you bring over and above having the piece of paper that should, you know, encourage me to employ you? And that's become very evident over the last four or five years uh, with, you know, the, the employability agenda taking a, a much bigger uh, factor in, in, in society here. So I think it's a natural progression. I also think that the trust and the trusting relationship between uh, universities and industry has grown immensely. You know, there's a real understanding and appreciation of the win-win relationship that can actually take place because of, you know, the shared um, conversation, if you like, the shared um, challenges. What can we provide you and what can you provide us? And all those can help to, um, to lead you to address this particular issue. So I'm delighted to say our first set of students go out into industry this year. So I'm delighted to say that 100% of our students have been placed in industry. Um, so our, our placement here is, is compulsory, it's not optional. 100% placement of students. And it's not just local uh, students, it's uh, local companies, sorry. We have some you know, leading companies, international companies, KPMG, Deloitte, you know, PDO, So it's, it's really quite reassuring to feel that industry buys into this idea. So that also the second part of our vision, which is being close to industry, being the go-to place for industry. So the placement doesn't just serve the student, the placement serves the university, it serves the university professors, because it allows you uh, a door into industry to talk about their challenges, to talk mm-hmm. to see how we can support them, what research opportunities are there, and so on and so forth, you know, building the network. And I think that's critical as we grow as, a, as, a, as an education sector. Yeah, and like you said, graduates leave university with a degree not really knowing what the job that they're going into is actually like. So I can definitely see how, how crucial it is, really. And I'm very pleased to hear that 100% of your students got placed. That's great news. Why? <laughs> so you also, you mentioned that you're the first female vice-chancellor. Can you talk to me about um, a little bit about any of the challenges you feel are facing female academics, particularly in an international context, and what can be done to overcome these challenges? Oh, very good question. I think... This is something that I've lived with over the years, uh, being an Arab 
evidently Muslim woman in, uh, in both financial sector, financial services in the UK. Before I joined academia, I was in financial services. So in financial services in the UK, and then in business, you know, business and, and management department in UK universities. Not necessarily a place you would expect to see very many females, um, and definitely not ones that look like me. So um, that's something that's not new to me. So I guess maybe I don't feel it as much. Um, because I'm so used to, um, you know, accepting that I just have to prove myself. And if you get over that, and you, you know, if you work, if you feel that your work is sufficient to prove your abilities, then you don't really need to do much more beyond that. I have to say, I think, uh, you know, I have a lot of immense respect of the board of, of uh, trustees and the board of directors that they've, you know, seen and have, have been very brave in appointing a female vice chancellor because it's not it's not an easy move for many um, institutions to do that, which I, I fully understand. Now, uh, Oman, I guess, is very different to other parts of the world, um, and, and particularly the Gulf, because actually the higher education sector is full of female leaders. We've had um, a female uh, minister of higher education and a female minister of education for many years, uh, and most, most recently, the, the latest... Uh, um, just two weeks ago, uh, the newest uh, Minister of Higher Education is another female. Uh, so it's not uncommon to find uh, leading ladies in, in higher education in, in Oman. It's actually quite a common thing, but within the university, this was the first um, positioning. Um, so I'm, I'm delighted, and I hope I can provide good role modeling for a younger generation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think, I mean, a lot of what you touched upon, I think, surrounds the mindset you have to have as a woman in academia and as like an international woman. And in the UK, I guess there's a lot more stigma around being a Muslim woman in academia. But do you think... Oh, sorry, sorry, I'll interrupt you if you don't mind. Absolutely. We, we invited Professor Louise Richardson, the Vice Chancellor of Oxford University, to deliver a public lecture on uh, the role of women in the 21st century university. It was amazing lecture and she said something which has stuck with me since that day and and she said i will celebrate the day when being a woman in any position is no longer news yeah when it's not all that important that it's a woman or a man and i think that's where, where we're headed so the the idea being that you know there's no first woman it's been done before you know it doesn't matter whether it's a woman or a, it's what they bring to the position and what can they really contribute so i really i like that quote and i thought it's something to aspire to <laughs> i really appreciated the philosophy and i thought it was a, it was a good quote so i thought i would share it here yeah, absolutely. It's a very, very nice way of putting it. Um, I actually, I saw something saying that the media coverage of Theresa May being Prime Minister was more gendered than the media coverage of Margaret Thatcher. So it feels like even though we progressed in so many ways, gender is in some ways more of an issue than it was back then, because it is the main talking point. And like you always say, female Prime Minister. Or, so I think that there's a lot of, a lot of value in that quote. Um, I was also going to ask, do you notice any differences between male and female students in terms of their approach to learning? Um, in the university, in Muscat University, we have quite um, a lot of, you know, the high percentage of female students at undergraduate level. It's much more equal at postgraduate level. Um, 
Generally, female students uh, do better in exams and assessments. I mean, there's, there's a lot um, about, you know, working very hard um, at, at university, etc. So, so they do do very well. Um, in terms of approaches to learning, though, I think um, it would be very difficult to draw some conclusions at this stage. But I think I note that the females are less um, willing to take a chance they're more likely to um, wait for others to um, articulate new ideas and different ways of doing things and then they might be um, you know they might they might join um, having said that we do have some very very articulate and very um, uh, you know leading and innovative young women uh, in the university so i don't think it's fair to to judge at this point Hopefully that's something that we can break down in the future. Yes. Um, so coming towards the end, as I know you have to get going fairly soon, in the current crisis, many education institutions across the globe have like shifted to online learning. Um, I was wondering if you could talk about your opinion on like whether distance learning is a good replacement for in-person learning and what the future of education looks like to you. Excellent uh, question, Sarika. Well, actually, I, I will turn that back into another question and ask, what are universities for? What, why do people go to universities, particularly in our current world, where actually knowledge is very much available and has been for a long time? Um, for a lot of the times, um, you know, what the lecturer is, is providing um, in, a, in a class is possibly very much available on the internet through Google, you know, maybe added with a few bits of experience and case studies, etc. But actually, the basics of Accounting 101 is still the basics of Accounting 101, you know, and it's available very much on um, YouTube and lectures, etc. My argument has always been, from the very beginning of this uh, pandemic, is that actually universities are not there simply to teach content. Yes, one of the main uh, responsibilities of an educational establishment is to deliver content. But um, we believe in learning and teaching as opposed to teaching and learning. And I keep repeating this over and over again. We facilitate learning. We allow people to uh, grow and explore, socialize, and build their personalities um, and transform as individuals. I always say this, and I was recording my, my welcome speech to um, our, our new uh, cohort coming in at the end of the month, and I was saying, look, you join us as 18-year-olds, you will leave us as 23-year-olds. That's a huge shift in a very important part of their lives. So for me, it isn't online provides one of the solutions, one of the main tasks that a university delivers, which is the content. It doesn't deliver on the other things, which is the socialization, the um, the university life, the experience, possibly the being away from home. The, um, need to um, it does actually uh, accentuate the the independent learning element possibly uh, the discipline but on other fronts i don't think it delivers as much now in terms of where universities going um, we've had universities for about a thousand years the oldest universities over a thousand years old they've pretty much stayed the same you know they've developed a little but 
by and large, universities still look like universities and still act like universities. There has been some change, the corporate universities, the blended learning, but I do not believe universities will go because of the shift to online. I do not believe that people will choose to just do, you know, 200 hours of learning online and, you know, to uh, stack them together and, you know, get micro-credentials and make them into one degree and, and all the things that are being said. I think people come to university for different reasons, for different purposes. Um, it's about developing competencies and skills and the transformative experience, which I do not think can be delivered through an online um, provision. So I'm very optimistic that um, we will grow, we will mature, we will um, adapt and maybe possibly develop different ways of, of working, but universities are here to stay. That's what I think. I think that also um, what you've been saying, it is ed education is much more accessible to everyone and it's very clear that Moscow University has kind of positioned itself with a forward thinking outlook. What can we therefore provide to students that's a step up from what they can get on the internet? So like in terms of the international collaborations and in terms of placement programs, it, it seems like you're using university as a platform to facilitate students kind of getting the best experience that they can, which is extremely exciting. Exactly. exactly. That's exactly it. So it's, a, it's a strong foundation for uh, an ability to to innovate and become world of work ready you know that we, we want ready graduates we don't want graduates who then have to be trained so I don't think that can be achieved other than an immersive university experience and, and that's very important yeah absolutely on a final note, you have spoken about the importance of lifelong learning and not restricting education to schools and universities. Um, so what do you think that someone can do to ensure that they have a learner mindset and keep learning even after leaving higher education? Final tips for me. Okay, excellent question. I'm, I'm a big believer, obviously, uh, in lifelong learning. I believe that as um, individuals, as global citizens, which I think we all are now, we have a responsibility to ourselves and to those around us to keep ourselves valid and credible and um, useful to the world around us. For me, accessing um, knowledge, obviously I have to be careful, my, my background is knowledge management, that's what my PhD is in, but access to knowledge, continuing learning in all different aspects. So for example, one of the things we've done in the university is we launched again the first um, public lecture series, which is uh, open to the public, as the name suggests, and it just draws people from different walks of life who talk about different topics, and it's the current debates. So we've, have, we've had everything from uh, the shift here in Oman from petroleum development to energy development. We've talked about leadership, we've talked about women in education, we've talked about uh, the, historic, um, the history of uh, the Omani um, relations with the neighboring region, just very interesting um, conversations, if you like, from leading, you know, thought leaders in their respective fields. And I think that's just another, you know, example of where we facilitate learning at multiple levels. It is not necessarily uh, certified and documented. We don't get a certificate of attendance or anything like that at the end. But hopefully, and I always say this at the end of those lectures, is what I hope is people will walk away with more questions than answers. If we've done that, then we have 
triggered their thinking, then we have been successful in our mission. Because if you go away with questions, you will go and try and seek answers. But if we give you the answers, then possibly we've kind of closed off too many doors and windows there. Mm. So we try to facilitate an opening of, of our thinking. It's an excellent way of looking at it, getting to ask more questions instead of just finding the answers. <laughs> All right, thank you very, very much for speaking with me. Um, it's been extremely insightful. So thank you very, very much, Professor Yasser. Thank you. Thank you so much, Thanks Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the Society, please head to ao-soc.org. And we look forward to welcoming you next week.